Welcome to the Leaner Stronger podcast. Today I'm joined with Angie from Get Peachy and we go through many questions that we've received in relation to people's relationships with food. If you have any particular questions that you would like the answer to, have a look in the show notes because I've written them down with the timestamps. So if you wanted to, you can skip to the particular questions and find out the answers that you're interested in. Right, there we go. Angie, what Easter egg are you having this weekend? (laughs) Me and Jake have just had like a 10 minute conversation about Easter eggs in which he was not recording. So I feel like this is just going to repeat itself. However, I think it's very important for you listeners to know what Easter eggs we're going to have. So I was saying I cannot decide between Cadbury's or Nestle. So I always have both. And Jake has a terrible choice in Easter egg. Awful. Apparently, jelly popping candy is a terrible choice of Easter egg, which I am bitterly disappointed that it's a it's a bad choice. But on the flip side, I do have a Reese's Bunny, and I think they are coming in as game changers. But is a Reese's Bunny actually an Easter egg? We can't class that in the same. Place. Uh, I guess not. But a Cadbury, but that's it. But Cadbury's is still king. Cadbury's has to be king of the Easter eggs. I just feel like there's no. No better chocolate. Yeah, I I have this like big debate in my head because I really like Cadbury's, but then I really like Nestle because it tastes really cheap. I love cheap chocolate. Like I'm the weirdo that just like at Christmas, I love um, gold coins. Absolutely love them. Wow. Um, but yeah, you just can't mix sweets with chocolate together. I'm afraid that, that cannot be done. It's not appropriate. Yeah, it's funny. I'm not even a sweet person. I don't like sweets generally. I don't pick a mix is not for me. Chocolate is, but having them two together was just, I don't know. When I had it a couple of years ago, it was just an absolute dream. And now I can't stop it. <laughs> well, I disagree. <laughs> but, but you're not impartial to a bit of Easter egg for breakfast though either, right? No, exactly. I, uh, Last Sunday, I treated myself to a, a very lovely Cabris Easter egg for, for breakfast. I had half with my coffee and it was incredible. Apart from the fact, obviously, I was, about, I was hungry about an hour later. But, you know, you've got to live the dream sometimes. And if you want to have a bit of chocolate for breakfast occasionally, then I don't see any harm in that. Obviously, we're going to get on to this topic. But absolutely. It was a choice, and I am very happy with that choice, even a week on. Yeah, exactly. And like you say, it does it does feed in very much into today, right? Being the relationship with food yes. topic, right? And uh, obviously, we've had many questions from both of our clients and our Instagrams and whatnot and email lists. So I think we'll we'll rattle through a fair few and kind of get both of our opinions on the questions and the answers, I suppose, based around the, the relationship with food. And I think, I suppose, one of the questions we have, which is probably a nice one to start with, is is how do you know your relationship with food is good? It, that's a really great question. And there's probably a million answers. But I guess my opinion would be that you don't think you have a relationship with food. Yeah. Nice. I think, yeah, not feeling anything particularly negative around food would suggest that it's probably not bad at the very least. And I think your your breakfast example there is nice, right? In the sense of you've 
you've just had an Easter egg for breakfast with a coffee or half an Easter egg. And it's a decision that was easy to make and you didn't have to worry about guilt or any negative repercussions because of that particular choice. Bar being a little bit hungry later, but you've understood the, you've understood that, that, you know, that's what's happened, right? Exactly. I think, I think it's just a case of being pretty neutral around food. And there was a term used, I was reading it the other day about, um, I think it's called food flexibility, where you understand that if you've eaten too much, you claw it back, but there's no um, intention there for it to feel there's no emotion attached to it that, oh my God, I've been so bad, I need to cut down. It's a, okay, I've eaten a bit more the day before, I'll just eat a bit less today. And, you know, there's just no emotional attachment to it. I think that's where you, you don't have a relationship with food, you know? Yeah, I like that. The emotions are massive, the massive thing, isn't it? It's... Yeah. That makes such a big part in it all. Yeah, I suppose it's hard to say, yeah. Other than that, I think it's, you would know, I think you'd be more likely to know you don't have a good relationship than knowing you do have a good one. I also, yeah, exactly. I also think a big indicator is how much you think about food. So food preoccupation. If your food preoccupation is very high, you're constantly thinking about, oh, should I eat that? Should I not? What's the next meal? Da, da, da. Like, you know, your that as a consequence is, your relationship with yourself and your relationship with food. Now, we must bear in mind that when you are dieting, your food preoccupation does increase because you've got to think about what you've put in your what you put in your mouth. But it's the emotional attachment. So some people can diet, track calories, etc., and have zero emotional attachment, whereas others will attach emotions to it. So I think it's just almost using the you know having more use of the logical side of your brain versus the sort of emotional side. Absolutely. And I think this feeds in actually quite nicely to a couple of the other questions we've had, because there was one that's asked, how do I stop thinking in bad foods and good foods? Mm. Uh, and then another one that kind of links into that being, how do I stop feeling bad when I, when I have nice food and how can I just enjoy it? And I think they link pretty closely together that we should probably answer them at the same time but I think what you said there in the using the more logical rational side of the brain and removing the emotion away from these things and is going to be a very good place to start and I've spoke the other day about how if you can understand the principles of like the nutrition right so understanding that food offers us certain things but in varying degrees right so all food offers us the same stuff so chocolate, for example, will offer us more carbohydrates than it does protein, but then a chicken breast is going to offer us more protein than it is carbohydrates. Not that either of those is bad or good. It's just that's what they offer because that's what different foods do. So if you can understand foods more of a, what does it offer me in particular nutritional content at the very least and then you've got the the psychology side as well right like if you're craving chocolate having a chicken breast is going to be pretty pretty pants at relieving any of that you know desire for yeah. chocolate yeah so um, let's read out the question to me again like one of them uh how do i stop thinking bad foods and good foods okay cool so 
that what you've just said labeling like nutrition is is quite a good um like practical approach i think where i see um sort of self-development on this is um how the bad food is actually approached so i was thinking about this the other day when i read this question let's say you've eaten a whole day of in inverted commas good food you feel pretty good right you've you've i don't know you've had your porridge for breakfast chicken salad and rice for lunch whatever and you look back at your day and you're like yeah do you know what i've made some really good choices i feel good i feel energized blah 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 then we look at the quote-unquote bad foods where perhaps you've had a day where you've consumed things that you didn't really plan for you didn't really want and perhaps you just said yes to and then you kind of reflect and look at that and go okay I've had a quote-unquote bad day but what we have to understand and identify is what decision was made before the food was chosen to make it bad because the food is not bad the donut in the office is not bad the chocolate bar in the evening is not bad but it's the action taken so for example if you attach an emotion before you eat the donut, if I eat this donut, I've, I've made a, a wrong choice. Or if I eat this donut, I'm not gonna be able to eat this later. Or if I eat this donut, I've eaten a carb. You've already made a choice that that donut is bad. And therefore you almost echo the feeling of, the feeling of feeling bad later on, because all you can think about is that bad emotional attachment versus just saying, I ate a donut, I'm done with it. And again, this is seen in people that um, overeat and secretly. So for example, it's in the context of how things are eaten that create them into this like bad term. So for an example I'll give you is, let's say a client was eating, um, ate their dinner, and then in secret, in the evening, went and ate chocolate. Now, if that wasn't a secret and they chose to eat chocolate, then perhaps actually that could be seen as quote unquote a good behavior. I decided to eat some chocolate, I'm okay with that. However, when it's done in secret, where it's hidden and the person has created a scenario for themselves where they emotionally feel like it's a secret, this is bad, I feel guilty, it's that behavior that then causes it to bad, feel bad. So I would say, are you actually labeling foods good or bad? Or are you lab labeling the emotion and the action around it that's causing you to feel bad? So a good practice to put in place there is to eat a chocolate bar without an emotional attachment and keep doing that. So regularly, you know, whether it's chocolate, crisp, whatever, do it in front of people do it so people can see you so they can judge you and go aren't you meant to be on a diet aren't you tracking your calories yeah i'm allowed a chocolate bar and then begin to remove that emotional attachment away from it does that make sense yeah is there something people can do pre yeah that as well because i think you said about they've labeled as uh, a scenario as good or bad prior to them actually consuming and I'm just thinking in my head of like training days when for us in the gym like I'll go into London do a training course and I'm always surrounded by Nando's five guys 
the lot and I'm comfortable with food. So I, I know I'm going to smash through a ridiculous amount of food through the day, but like for other people where they get sent on training courses and they've only got a buffet to choose from lunch or they've only got, you know, a, a quick shop to go to and they don't have what they would deem as the best options. Is there anything they can do before they go there to remove the context from their head? Or does it have to be a trial and error based type thing? We're going, right. Okay. I must, I must try and eat a chocolate bar in front of my partner rather than in secret, for example, and, and things like that. Does that make sense? Um, kind of. There was a couple of questions in there which all kind of relate to each other, but then don't. I think a good practice to do is, let's say, for example, you're in the office, someone passes you a donut and you press pause so you give yourself a few seconds to give yourself a decision so putting a pause in place is really important whether that's just I don't know there's things you can do like set a timer have that donut in front of you that kind of thing and set a timer three minutes on the clock okay you know and it gives you that sense of almost arousement that the the, the donut is there in front of you and you can decide okay do I want to eat this today what I'm so a really good question to put in is what am I hungry for? Mm. So if it's, I'm hungry for something sweet, or is it I'm hungry for a distraction? Is it I'm hungry for a break? Is it I'm hungry for, you know, I'm angry because I'm angry, X, Y, and Z. So then you can start to differ, differentiate yeah. the difference between logic and emotion. I'm hungry for a break. It's not the donut you want. You just need 10 minutes away from your desk, you know? So then we can start to understand like, okay, I don't actually need that donut. I need 10 minutes break. So I'll take the 10 minutes break. I'll come back to the donut. And if that then has subsided that craving, then, do you know, I'll put that donut aside or I might choose to still eat the donut, but that's a choice. It's not a, oh my God, I need to eat it right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, I like the pause. The pause is something I've implemented more recently, like in my kind of, mini dieting phase this year is like do I actually want it and I think I'm a very rational linear thinker so as you know I'm very much I like the plan of stuff so also the other question I ask myself is what what's my goal because obviously I'm so training orientated anyway being it's the job but like I have my goal where I want to lose body fat right now so my goal is obviously to be within my deficit and the one question I tend to ask myself being that my partner isn't on the same goal as me and is having whatever whatever it's like what am I aiming for is it like is it going to contribute more than just calories to me so is there like the psychological element like do I fancy it like you say and I go if I don't then I just say no but willingly and I don't feel bad about it because I'm like well actually I just don't want it because it won't it will it means something else has to give because of my goal, because of being in a, an aggressive calorie deficit. Mm -hmm. It like an Easter egg, for example, or, or a big chocolate bar and a donut will take up a large chunk of my calories. So it means I'll have to be probably hungry elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd rather not be hungry elsewhere than yeah. have that one thing in front of me right now for the momentary. But I know once I get back to my maintenance level, I can have whatever I want. Like, I know I can, I'll have more scope to have these things. It's fine. But I know it's a very short-term goal I have. So I'm okay with not having certain things in that sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the, the, the beauty of the pause comes in. When you then understand, right, I can have this donor. It's not an emotional, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a bad attachment to the donor. But what it does mean is as a consequence of that, if I'm tracking my calories, if I'm in a calorie deficit, I'm not going to be able to eat my lunch because mm. I've spent that, you know, I spent my money, my calories on that donut thus resulting in I'm going to be a little bit hungrier throughout the day. And this is where we can kind of um, have a better understanding of like how important managing your hunger is when you're in a calorie deficit and how that can easily um, be impacted by your emotions. So if you're constantly letting yourself get very hungry and as you said, walk by five guys, whatever, you know, that hunger anyone anyone that's absolutely ravenous walking past you know fast food chains whatever you get smell you get a taste for it and then all of a sudden you can't stop thinking about it and before you know it, you scoff down you know five guys burger so it's one practical approach don't let yourself get too hungry when you're in a calorie calorie deficit and you know plan in the treats that you want to give yourself i call them treats like I, that does not have an emotional attachment to me like yesterday i went for a, a coffee and a donut with my friend it was a treat right but don't let yourself get too hungry if you do get too hungry have a plan in place and um, so for example i call it like a protein appetizer if you're like on the run rushing around having like a group some greek yogurt just to take the bite like the taste the taste take the edge off the hunger so then you can make a better practical decision do i want the donut or am i actually better off waiting a little bit having my chicken rice whatever and then after i can make that decision do i still need the donut you know um i think that yeah i think we're like going from the same yeah you know understanding the same points but in like different mentalities but yeah. um Going back to like food labeling, good and bad. Let's read out the second question because I think that. So it was to how can I stop feeling bad when I have nice food and just enjoy it? So that last bit, I sense that this, and this is a huge assumption, this particular person is, is having the nice food in perhaps more of a self-sabotage way, which is why they're not letting themselves enjoy it. Perhaps they're doing it, doing a fuck it mentality. Fuck it, I'm just going to eat all of this. And then the guilt comes in because you put the fuck it mentality before eating the food, right? Mm -hmm. But if you took away the fuck it mentality, do you know what? I'm just going to allow myself to have what I fancy today. And I'm going to, you know, add some mindfulness into that slow down. So there's so many layers to this. Mm. I would just say like, how are you going in on the bad foods? Like, what is your intention? Question that. If your intention is, I'm, I'm going to eat all of it. Fuck it. I can't be bothered. Whatever. Then yeah, you're going to feel bad. But if actually you just go, do you know what? I'm knackered. I've had a really, I did this last night. I ate a whole bar. All the, all the tricks come out now. I ate a whole bar, of, like a share bar of Galaxy to myself. It's only like the 150 gram or whatever. But I was like, I'm really tired. I've had a really long day, la la la. And I was like, do you know what? I choose to eat the whole bar of chocolate to myself and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. You know, and yeah. yeah, at the moment, I'm not in a calorie deficit. And if I was, potentially, I probably would have spent more time being mindful and slowly chewing and slowly tasting each bite to then prevent me from eating the whole thing. 
But because I'd already gone in with the decision, I'm going to eat the whole thing. I'll live with the consequence tomorrow. It's fine. You know? Yeah. And I think tomorrow is an important thing as well, right? Like I had a conversation with someone this week about this and, and it's like in the moment there and then that one meal that you're having that nice meal for what, you know, for want of better terms, if we're taking away the emotion side, yeah. if it doesn't turn into a repeated effect in the sense of we're not then going fuck it and then doing the same every day in a row, if you were to jump back onto whatever routine you have the next day, things are going to be fine. Things are going to be absolutely fine. That one period of, you know, like I say, if you are in a calorie deficit, that one day where you've tipped into a maintenance, maybe even slight surplus, one research base, like that's actually not going to be converted into body fat anywhere near as much as you would imagine based on the number of calories you have. But two, psychologically, it could do you the world of good in terms of just then being refreshed, restarted and re- be ready to go back into the deficit because psychologically you feel glad that you had that thing you desired. Exactly. And I think I had a conversation with a client actually a couple of months back about this is, you know, sometimes you do overeat and that's a choice and you sometimes have to weigh up like how it benefited you, like the positives of the oh, do you know what I really needed that full bar of chocolate I feel really good from having it because I needed it at the time and you know I've woken up with more energy I don't feel like I'm craving it anymore x y and z so almost reframing okay I ate that much what are the positives I've got more energy today or that craving has gone or I don't know I feel like I could probably say no today because you know I've put it to bed so it's kind of almost like can we reframe the bad thoughts and look at them as good Mm. Um, and I really like what you say there about returning back to normal I've had a couple of clients recently struggle with this quite a lot and I've said listen when you've overeaten put it to bed wake up the next day and eat to your calories and they're like what you know like uh, shouldn't I cut back and but actually we can get you out of this habit, this, you know, wanting to binge by feeling satiated and by feeling full versus cutting your calorie deficit by 500 the next day and constantly feeling hungry. Yeah, absolutely. I liked that post that you put up. It was a very good thing because it's, again, it comes down to individual differences in tactics, right? Of how you can go about these things. If you, if you are rubbish, not rubbish, not necessarily rubbish. If you don't enjoy cutting calories down too far so the whole banking idea of save more calories for the week. if you don't like that because you always tip too far at the weekend then yeah maybe it is actually how about allow more through the week granted you might not have as much at the weekend if we're if we're being slightly stricter on the numbers but actually you might not psychologically feel like you need them because you've eaten more <laughs> through the week and like you say you build that habit pattern of having more regular meals more regular kind of style of meals and actually you probably can fit in more of what you deem as nice good foods in those days anyway where they just and they still add towards your goals so it becomes very individual right but but i think that's a a, i think a lot of people get roped up in calorie deficit and trying to cut back as much as possible because that's good in their opinion, which is not, not necessarily is right. Like more isn't more a lot of the time. So I think it's figuring, figuring out where you're at 
with your own individual habits and, and desires and abilities to adhere to these things, right? Yeah. And when you take hunger out of the equation, then it's, it becomes, I want to say, easier to understand the good and bad labeling. If you're not hungry, mm. do you label that food as bad? Probably not. You know, so I think, yeah, I think that's kind of sums it up. Yeah. Um, and I think what we just talked about at the end there correlates over to that really long question that we can probably shorten down. Yeah. So I think I've shortened it. I think I've had a go at shortening this down. So essentially the crux of it was I eat less at the week. I less eat. Oh, goodness. I eat less in the week so I can eat more at the weekend, but I'm not trying to lose weight. Is that OK? I'll let you roll with it. So it is in the very, very short answer is yes, that's fine. If that works for you, absolutely. And I, this person in particular is trying to grow some muscle. I know this. So they're trying to grow a bit of muscle. They don't want to necessarily lose weight, but there's a, there's a slight feeling of discomfort when they reach the kind of the upper end of their body weight fluctuations but they know they need to do it to also gain the muscle. So it's getting over the mentality of when I have more, I feel worse for it mentally, as opposed to knowing that I'm eating okay. Cause this person eats relatively good food Their Their idea of bad food will likely be wine and chocolate. That's it. They don't actually choose to eat the other things that get stereotyped as bad. They're not big into takeaways. When you not- said eat more, and she she feels worse from it. What do you mean? So if there's a fluctuation in body weight, let's say it's the lows of lows and highs are about five pounds difference. She's tracking body weight every day. Not sure. But I think the tactic of eating less in the week to allow for more of the weekend, because I think it's like big family, they like having their kind of takeaway meals. So it's like being able to take part in that with the family is a thing. So I think that's okay. I think it's, I think really it's actually getting over the idea. It's more the emotion to the numbers of body weight as opposed to the food. I think the food choices are fine. Like they genuinely would rather have vegetables rather than um, sweets, which is fine. You know, that's, that's again, personal preference. If that's what you enjoy more so then fine. That's, that's okay. Uh, if we look at law of averages as the calories go through the week, then fine. If your law of averages work out to be something and that tactic works for you, that's that's absolutely fine. But I think the crux of it is actually the the mentality around building muscle and, and seeing a number on the scale go up, which is yeah. being translated into the relationship with food when actually the food relationship is okay. That Their choices, as I say, their choices are okay. They don't need to worry about their choices, but I think it's more that side of things. I don't know if you'd agree or if you have a different perspective on it. it it's it's hard for me to say, because obviously I don't know that client, but what I understand from the question, the question is, I eat lower calorie foods by choice in the week so that I can eat more on the weekend, right? And at the end of the day, like, that's hashtag goals. <laughs> you know, yeah. most of us will, to enable us to maintain weight, We'll eat a little bit less in the week to then enjoy our weekends. And I get a lot of clients say to me, oh, you know, I just can't control myself on the weekend. And I always say, hello, like, 
in two years time you're still not going to because that's society like we enjoy ourselves on the weekend so yeah eating less in the week to enjoy yourself on the weekend fine but when we look at um the specifics she is asking my goal is to gain muscle i'm eating lower calories in the week to enjoy myself in to enjoy myself on the weekend does that align with my goals and I would then question are you do you have enough energy in the week do you perform well are you recovering if not then yeah we need to look at what you're eating in the week and try and have a better understanding of are you getting enough protein are you getting enough carbs etc etc to support your training in the week if not and you're you know your recovery is poor, then we probably need to look at increasing calories in the week. And yeah, it does mean that on the weekend that you're probably going to have to not be as flexible as you are right now, but it doesn't mean you have to kick everything out. Um, so I think just a really great, great question that I ask my clients is how are you recovering? And what, mm. you know, and, and what does your energy look like? And if that person's like, do you know what? On a Monday, I'm like raring to go and feeling full of energy because I've really enjoyed myself on the weekend. But by Friday, I'm really lethargic and I can't push in the gym. Okay, we need to look at like the energy gap there and see, you know, the the, the salads that you're eating at lunch, is it enough? You know? Yeah, it's interesting because this, this person is generally all right, generally pretty good through the week, bar like bad night sleeps. Okay, yeah. Occasionally. But I think that's more stage of life as a female that may be playing a part in that. We've had that conversation. Right. So we know, we, we understand that that's potentially playing a factor and then nature's going to take its course in that sense. Um, so we, I think she understands that. So, but yeah, I agree though. I think that I agree all, all of those points that the, the recovery markers and how you feel during the week is also going to play a massive part in that. Yeah. Um, so to answer that question, no, it's not an issue unless you think it's an issue. I think, mm. you know, like yeah. ultimately yeah. that's a dream. We eat a bit less in the week to allow ourselves to eat more, more on yeah. the weekend. That's what a quote unquote normal people do, you know? It's just so, easier with the way that a work week rolls as well, right? Because most people on the whole will be busier Monday to Friday or Monday to Friday lunchtime because they're working. And then like the social time does come there. So I think naturally it just falls that way. And I was just thinking as well, like if, well, this, I know this person in particular has literally weighed within those five pounds for decades. So it's not, it's not a case of like these averages are fluctuating up and down and there's a general trend up mm. of weight gain, which can happen for a lot of people because actually they're tipping the balance all the time too much in terms of energy balance. Mm. So I think it's understanding also like naturally you would actually expect your weight to fluctuate upwards because you have consumed more. If you think of it literally raw elements, like you have more in your body that next morning, if you've had a heavy meal at night and you've not been to the toilet to get these things out, naturally it's still in you. So you should, you should expect to be a bit heavier water retention as well, alongside extra carbohydrates, for example. And then naturally that's why you fluctuate back down in the week because you don't have one, you're not eating as many calories. So naturally there's going to be a, you know, less carbs within you. So there's going to be less water and there's going to be less actual stuff inside you. So we, I think everyone would do better in, in just 
accepting their up and downs on their weights like it's it's yeah. it's a it's a fact of life that we can't really get around i'd also probably just say have a bit of a trial of not weighing yeah like she's maintenance like weight isn't the goal like mm. and after a few weeks months of being at maintenance like there's a couple of things you can do you can weigh in on alternate days you can weigh in on the day that you feel most confident yeah. you can weigh in barely ever yeah. or you can change the way that you weigh so some of my clients instead of weighing in pounds will do kilos just because it changes yeah. kind of a bit of an emotion around that that massively helped me when i went to maintenance i weighed in kilos because what kilos meant nothing to me so yeah. because there's a bigger the difference in kilos is bigger than the difference in pounds, meaning, you know, you fluctuate in pounds much more, but in kilos you don't. So mm. because I wasn't fluctuating in kilos as much, I was like, oh, I can deal with this, you know? So I think yeah. sometimes just a bit of like strategy. And I just say, just try trial and see how you feel if you don't weigh yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing in terms of a progress point of view, I've said more so let's look at what we're lifting, how we're lifting, yeah, exactly. like use yeah. the pro. The idea is to build muscle, right? And yeah they've definitely built the shape they're building shape that's for sure and, and you know she would do peach peach club very proud i think you know in that sense because we've definitely seen developments there so i think there's just other like you say probably other things that would be better to look at which is cool mm -hmm. but yeah those i like that switching to kilos to pounds things i've never thought of it like that yeah it's a it's a good way just to kind of like um change change your mentality a little bit or change your emotion right hmm. what questions we've got next so we've got why do we have emotional triggers when it comes to food and i think that plays into your pre-context of stuff that we've kind of mentioned yeah. but also i think the thing that i was thinking when it came to this is that actually we have almost like the dopamine hit of this the the two that have asked this have both mentioned sweet stuff as their foods they crave over and above other stuff and i think that comes because when you consume these things we have a bit of a dope like a bit of a dopamine hit which is the feel-good factor and it's going to be stronger coming from something higher in sugar than it's going to be something fruit-based or mm. not sweet as an association yeah is that the full question yeah why do we have emotional triggers when it comes to food yeah. Okay. Yeah. Completely agree on the dopamine stuff. Um, yeah. Emotional triggers when we eat food. I mean, it's, it's a huge question. It's a can of worms. Um, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like, is it, is it habit? Is it something that you did in your childhood? Is it, you know, it, it, it all depends on the emotion. I think going from like a practical approach why do I feel an emotion around food? I'm just trying to put myself in a scenario. If I was really hungry and I emotionally felt relieved when I ate a bar of chocolate, it's probably just because I really needed some energy and that was the thing that picked me up. So just let's look at the strategy behind that. Okay, we need to increase fuel, you know? So if you're not eating enough throughout the day or perhaps you're not sleeping well, can we look at your recovery and can we look at like the types of foods you're eating to prevent you getting to this point where you feel like a craving kicks in and you fancy something sweet and sugary to fill that energy void. So you kind of have to look at it from like an energy perspective as well um 
in terms of like, I've had a rubbish day, I need a glass of wine. That is a habit, you know, it's habit, you know, and habits are hard to break. And I think sometimes just, again, having some strategy in place, can I put a pause in there? Why do I feel, you know, like I've had a rubbish day at work? Can I, mm. can I spend some time journaling and figuring it out? Do I need to meditate? Could I do something else instead? Go out for a walk, speak to a friend. So it, you kind of have to question like, what is the emotion and why am I feeling it first? Yeah. And then give yourself the choice. I can have the wine, I can have the chocolate, or I could deal with the emotion. Yeah. That links in as well to another one. The other one was, why do we crave certain types of food when we're stressed? And again, I think that links into the dopamine stuff, but also yeah. the associations you have with certain foods as well, right? And drink. Yeah. yeah. If you've associated that, you know, a glass of wine is really relieving, of course you're going to go and relieve yourself with a glass of wine. But if that then is causing you to feel frustrated because you then, you know, you're not achieving your goals, like, okay, if we took the wine out of the equation and wine never existed, what would you do? Yeah. That, that's always a good scenario to put, okay, the, the chocolate doesn't exist anymore. What are you going to do about it? Uh, find something yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> move on to sweets but you know it's kind of like okay that doesn't exist that's gone that's eliminated what what next so i think it takes with the emotional work like you've got to work on what what i like to call like your emotional fitness and work on what am i feeling why am i feeling this and do i need more time to figure out what, like what to do about it or do i know and i'm just um preventing myself from doing it let's say for example you feel really sad you broke up with your boyfriend like okay we all like we all eat loads of chocolate when that happens but anyway regardless you know if you're feeling really sad like do I just need to cry you know or do I need to talk to my friend about it with my mom that kind of thing you just talk about my emotions versus suppressing them and there's been quite, it's so funny. I've had so many conversations with clients where they've said, I just feel really sad and I don't know, I, I need to get these tears out and I don't know why. And I'm like Googling like the saddest movie. <laughs> I'm like, watch this or what's the one Marley and me? Yeah. <laughs> if you've got a dog, like don't ever watch it. But, or like songs, I've got, I've got a playlist where of songs which I know make me cry so if I need to cry I'll just go and sit up in my bedroom <laughs> just put this playlist on but it's what I need to do you know yeah. yeah yeah if it needs to come out it needs to come out so if we can start to feel our emotions you know we can then start to unpick and detach ourselves from yeah. the food being what feeds the emotion but also when you feel the emotion, sometimes you feel worse, which then can drive the trigger to eat more. I feel sad. I'm going to cry. Now I really want chocolate. But quite often I find that when a client has gone through that process, they've then given themselves a choice. I've cried. Oh, I just really fancy some chocolate. And it's not, I'm really sad. Fuck it. I'm just going to eat some chocolate, you know? Yeah. It's kind so of like that the you've given yourself that choice now oh i've got it out of my system now i have a choice yeah i like that i think just i suppose yeah just allowing the emotions to be there as well right in, in like you say suppression is probably the thing where it builds up and then you go again the fuck it moment comes back but 
putting a plaster over a broken leg sometimes it's not going to fix it is it yeah so maybe tackling the issue first is always a sometimes a good idea to to have a go at that first and then like you say the emotion like the emotional eating is actually okay that's that's an okay tactic to have that's not a bad thing to have in the toolbox it just doesn't want to be the only tool yeah 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 i really like that because as you know i'll I'll still i'll put my hand up i emotionally eat yeah likewise yeah exactly but i i emotionally eat because i choose to not because i feel obliged to Mm. you know and i think that's where you know, you've, you've worked on your emotional tool, toolbox. I've worked, worked in my emotional toolbox and I'm emotionally fit enough now to make that decision, you know? And it's not always right, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I, you know, I might slip up somewhere but I'm aware of it and it's fine. And I return back to normal. But it's where, let's say it's happening every single day and you're so wrapped up in this emotional turmoil and you can't break it, you've not put a pause in. I've had this so many times with clients and they're like, I just can't do it. And I'm like, you're not pausing. You're not giving yourself time. When are you giving yourself space to figure what, what is going on in your mind, you know? So put that pause in. That pause can look like, right, I'm removing myself from my desk. I'm removing myself from the office. I'm removing myself from the situation. My family, they're doing my head in. I take myself off. I put myself in a quiet space. I figure stuff out. That might be, I walk. I walk and think, I run and think, I work out and think. It might be, I sit and journal. It might be, I sit and listen to music. Anything that can detach you from what's going on, the situation, the environment, detach yourself from that, then that will create the space for you to actually figure stuff out. Then you can then figure out, do I need to feel that emotion? Am I trying to stop myself from feeling that emotion? because it's hard, because sometimes facing your emotions is really, really hard work and it's ugly. And then, you know, what alternatives can I do if that chocolate, that wine, the crisp, the pizza is taken out of the equation? Okay, now I've got a list. List all these things down. I get my clients to write it. What can you do instead of, uh, instead of reaching for a glass of wine? I can just have like uh, low calorie, ice cold, tonic water right or I could go out for a walk or I could speak to a friend or I could go and stroke my cat whatever you want to do that makes you feel better you've then got your toolbox and guess what you might go through 25 things and still want a glass of wine but there you go you've given yourself a choice absolutely so yeah I like that which links in literally I think that almost answers actually the last question we had which was how can we stop using food to comfort ourselves when we are deep down emotionally because the food regret is painful? Yeah. And I think having that toolbox is, is the, the answer to that, which isn't necessarily that you can't just pick up the toolbox and be like, oh, well, I have all these options now. I think it takes time working on them one at a time. Well, at least in my experience, it was like having a go, at one thing at a time and if you find the things at work they go in if you don't like certain things they don't go in your toolbox but you have to make a conscious effort to explore different options if you don't like the fact you use food as your option yet because I think once you learn how many other options you have that can potentially work at certain points in time you then realize because you're not using the food every time it becomes a, a, a more acceptable option to yourself in the future. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, and typically this person that um, asked this question, I know I coached her for a bit and I know she has a very stressful life. She, she does everything, everything, and she's exhausted a lot. So her emotions are very, very high. And I know she struggles to face the emotion and suppressing them is easier because it yeah. is. Suppressing your emotion is so much easier. And guess what? It's really nice. Glass of wine, chocolate, maybe even cigarette, you know, if that's your thing. You, you know, that feels good. But at, what it doesn't do is solve it. Doesn't solve it. And that then manifests. And then you do it every day. And then you're in this state where you just can't break it. Like you, there has to be a day where you go, this is it. I sort this out. I face my emotions. Maybe you reach out for the, to, you know, a therapist. Maybe you tell a partner maybe you speak to your family about it and say you know I can't deal with this it's too much it's causing me to live an unhealthy lifestyle and I need your help you know so yeah like facing your emotions is deep hard work and eating chocolate and drinking wine and ordering a takeaway is so much easier but does it align with your values your goals no you know there has to be d-day d-day needs to come at some point where you sort it out or you just carry on your choice yeah i agree i'm just thinking for those who might be listening and thinking i need help with this stuff mm. where would you direct people first because people might be thinking do i need a coach do i need a nutritionist a dietitian a counselor I know it's a very, that's a very broad question and we could, there, there's lots of context that's needed for all, right? But where would you potentially? Um, so I've taken on quite a few clients before that have come from backgrounds of eating disorders and it is way out of my scope. However, I have my scope of practice. I have honest and open conversations with them to say if ever this goes away that I know I can't assist you you know I will refer you on and whether that's with a therapist I, I I have practitioners that I know that I can pass on to so I've got you know a therapist that I've worked with before she's happy to take clients on for me um, if I can't find someone in their local area or whatever I refer to B um, doctor Doctors not always that helpful, unfortunately. A lot of people have support from their um, employee, employer, employers, employers, you know, like the police or whatever. Sometimes, um, yeah, you can get therapy, the therapy through work. Um, so, I think if you decide to work with a coach, let's say a fat loss coach, and you know you've had, I don't know, eating disorders in the past, or you are more like you feel like you have a binge eating disorder reach out to those coaches and a good coach will say to you, listen, I have this much knowledge. I'm qualified to do this. If I feel that it gets too much, I will tell you. And quite often I, the clients I've had with previous eating disorders are very, very happy with that answer and will say to me, you know, I will say to them, listen, if anything ever comes up from your past, you must tell me. You must not hide things from me. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to help. And, you know, if those things then come into place, I will then refer you, refer you because 
it's not fair on me as a professional to help somebody who can't be helped by me. And it's not fair on you to not get the actual proper support you need, you know? Mm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's because there's many options, right? Also, I suppose if people are interested in the training side of things, then a trainer will naturally seem the easier option as well, in the sense of like they can get more of this type of stuff at once. Because obviously, you no know, people don't necessarily want to be forking out for several different things for different aspects of their lives. So I just wondered how your thought patterns around that thing just in case there's anyone listening that, that feels like they struggle with this stuff but not sure if they can come to a trainer but i agree like a good trainer will if you're open and honest with them and they know about these things they can ask the right questions and they can they can lead you like i say as far as their their knowledge goes um i think it's... Also, i think like we just need to highlight like there's a big difference between binge eating disorder and feeling like you binge and the, the thing, the difference is the choice. You choose to binge, whereas a binge eating disorder, you don't feel like you have a choice. And if you do feel that you don't have a choice, you need to eat, you need to eat with, you need to um, work with a binge eating disorder specialist who would be somebody like a dietitian, a nutritional therapist, or sometimes, uh, you know, a, a regular therapist, a psychotherapist, not a personal trainer because mm. that's out of their scope of practice and yeah. um, if you're not sure potentially like speak to your doctor speak to so b is a company what is it binge eating google it for me i can't remember it's a company that, that basically work with people who have binge eating um disorders you can they've got an instagram you can just message them and to say like i think i'm experiencing these feelings or you can go onto their website and they will help you to determine sort of what's going on and what support you need um so if you feel like your relationship with food is really really in a place that you have no control over and nobody has ever been able to help you with it then yeah potentially you know you might need to seek further professional help um but on that note i think it's really important like if you feel that you overeat and you do binge having that open honest conversation with a coach that you're working with a personal trainer will enable them to see patterns in your behavior your recovery your energy levels and that kind of thing and you know at the end of the day they they will want to help you so i think it's one of those things like be open and honest about it don't hide it yeah um i don't know if you've ever had that where i don't know the client has felt that they can't talk to you about those certain things I think sometimes some might think it's not because they see us as exercise professionals a lot of the time. Yeah. It's the, oh, I didn't know you do that type thing. Yeah. Um, even though we talk about nutrition all the time, there's obviously, yeah, they're not. And I think it depends how they feel about it as well, right? I suppose sometimes it comes with the guilt <laughs> because they're feeling guilty and it's that, that cycle that they're stuck in. So I think sometimes there's a trust aspect as well so sometimes you you might find these things out a bit later on down the line where they have you've built the trust there um which is fine you know like you can also understand that at the same point right if, if they've never met you before and not followed your stuff they're not sure what you're about you're learning each other it's just a part of the journey um but on that the earlier you can be open and honest about such things if you're struggling with them and you want to get past them then the the sooner that can happen but that's what i think it was called binge eating disorders.org yeah it's just like yeah i've got it yeah 
um we'll link so yeah it. yeah we'll put i'll put it in the uh show notes yeah so that people can see that if needs be but yeah i think the open honest communications is the key bit when it comes to having a coach um, yeah. and like you say good ones will refer out if they feel it's out of their scope and their knowledge remit um it'd just be more red flags if someone keeps telling you to do the things despite yeah. you saying and obviously not responding to what they want you to do um which is triggering triggering further negative cycles of whichever behavior pattern it is that you you're you're going through that would be the that would be a red flag that people should be aware of and it might be a case of they might not necessarily mean they're a bad trainer it just might mean they're unaware of such things and you may need to move to someone that has a better understanding um because you can get very good trainers that know nothing about this because they're so focused on the exercise so that's that's absolutely not us saying that all trainers should know this they shouldn't um it's a very special area but some will know more than others and if you uh, if it's something you want to tackle then maybe you just need to find an appropriate person for that and things like this website and even if you ask us to refer on and, and need help then we'll likely know people in you know we know a fair few people in the the field that could potentially be of help yeah i agree and also like what you said about not all not all person training is bad not all online coaches are bad some are just aren't equipped to work with this type of scenario and that isn't a bad thing like i know so many great coaches who just wouldn't even touch this subject because Mm -hmm. that's not what they do you know and perhaps what they do is like powerlifting program or um really focus on hypertrophy you know and that's what they do but actually if you go to them because you need help with your relationship with food and you start training with them and you have the conversation with them and they say it's not what I do you have to you you have to make that decision yourself to go okay is this my goal like I want to build muscle but also I want to work on my relationship with food so is this coach right for me and if that coach isn't hopefully they will have referred you know another level of profession to you so whether that's a therapist or whatever or if they haven't like yeah maybe it's time to just have a conversation say do you know what you're a great coach but you know I'm going to go and work with so-and-so I've followed her on social media because that's the type of clientele she works with you know so I think honestly I love it when clients come to me and, and have an open discussion with me and just say I've I have it the other way around so because I take on quite a few clients that do have relationships with food or perhaps have binged in the past and that kind of thing. They will come to me and say, I've worked on my relationship with food now. My emotional tool, I've had, I had it quite recently. I've, I feel like my emotional fitness is good. I've got a toolbox. I think I've got this. Like, but now I really want to go and run a marathon. I'm like, great. I don't do that. Like, go to this. <laughs> no, like I can't help you with that. Um, so I think actually like we really appreciate it as coaches if you have that chat with us because at the end of the day we're human and we want to make sure that you're getting the right service from us and if you're not we would rather you get that service that you need for your goal from somebody who specializes in that area so do be open and honest do have those types of conversations with your coaches your coach says something that doesn't align with you will sit well with you maybe it's They've ignored the fact that you you are struggling with binging and they just say, oh, you know, just, I don't know, get back onto your meal plan on Monday and you don't feel that that's the support you need. Ask them about it, you know, and 
I don't want to say if they're a good coach, then they will do something about it. But if they're a good coach and they care about you, they'll go, do you know what? Actually, you've called me out and you're right. Like, I'm not stepping up in that area to support you. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about it. Or they'll say, actually, that's not what I do. You need to go and work with a different coach, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And where can uh, where can people find your stuff online on social media, being that we're talking about it? <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm at Get Peachy. So if you just search that, um, you can find me on social on Instagram and on Facebook. If you want to visit my website, it's www.get-peachy.com. Um, or just yeah, just DM me or drop me an email or whatever you want to do if you want to have a chat. Um, but yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah awesome that was great that was really cool i love that huh? now we can